listening to the podcast 82488. He looked at the foot. Oh, sure. Photos, x-rays, blood tests on the cult. Micro-stitching every luxury. I'll get on with anesthesizing the cult as soon as possible. The foot's been off too long. He shook his head. I'll try. Phone my mobile. I gave him the number. Anytime. See you, Sid. And catch the booger. He bustled away, taking the foot with him. And I returned to my car to find Jonathan, not only still there, but jogging around with excitement. And that was a selection from today's novel, Come to Grief by Dick Francis. Page 8 The last time I'd seen Jenny, she'd glared at me with incredulous contempt, demanding to know how I could possibly seek to destroy the Golden Ellis, who counted me as friend, who liked me, who'd done me favors, who would have trusted me with his life. I'd let her molten rage pour over me, offering no defense. I knew exactly how she felt disbelief and denial and anger. The idea of what he'd done was so sickening to her that she rejected the guilt possibility absolutely as almost everyone else had done, though in her case with anguish. Most people believed I had got it all wrong and had ruined myself, not Ellis. Even Charles at first had said doubtfully, Sid, are you sure? I'd said I was certain. I'd hoped desperately for a way out, for any way out, as I knew what I'd be pulling down on myself if I went ahead. And it had been at least as bad as I'd feared, and in many ways worse. After the first bombshell solution a proposed solution to a crime that had had half the country paying for blood. But not Ellis's blood, no, no. It was unthinkable. There had been the first court appearance, the remand in custody, a scandal. He should of course be let out immediately on bail. And after that, there had fallen a sudden press silence while the sub-Judas law came into effect. Under British sub-Judas law, no evidence might be publicly discussed between the remand and the trial. Much investigation and strategic trial planning could go on behind the scene, but neither potential jurors nor John Doe in the street was allowed to know details. Uninformed public opinion had consequently stuck at the Ellis's innocent stage. And I'd had nearly three months now of a bloke. Ellis, you see, was a young looking var in spades. Ellis Quint 
once a champion amateur jump jockey, had flashed onto the television screens like a comet, a brilliant, laughing, able, funny performer, the draw for millions on sports quiz programs, the ultimate cat show host, the model held up to children, the page 24 spent hours getting to know our new friends habits the ones that scold in corners the one who bossed all the rest half of the fish were called Sid the fish tank stood in the ferns's sitting room at home and it seemed uncertain now whether Rachel would see the new Sid among his mates it was there in the comfortable middle-sized room furnished with unaggressively expensive modern sofas, with glass-topped end tables and stained glass Tiffany lamps, that I had first met my clients, Linda and Rachel Ferns. There were no books in the room, only a few magazines, dress fashions and horses, shiny striped curtains in crimson and cream, geometrically patterned carpet in merging fawn and gray, flower prints on pale pink walls. Overall, the impression was a degree of lack of coordination, which probably indicated impulsive inhabitants without strongly formed characters. The furnaces weren't old money, I concluded, but there appeared to be plenty of it. Linda Ferns on the telephone had begged me to come. Five or six ponies in the district had been attacked by vandals, and one of the ponies belonged to her daughter, Rachel. The police hadn't found out who the vandals were, and now months had gone by, and her daughter was still very distressed, and would I please, please come and see if I could help? I've heard you're my only hope. I'll pay you, of course. I'll pay you anything if you help Rachel. She has these terrible nightmares, please. I mentioned my fee. Anything, she said. She hadn't told me before I arrived in the far-flung village beyond Cantonbury, that Rachel was ill unto death. When I met the huge-eyed, bald-headed, slender child, she shook hands with me gravely. Are you really Sid Alley? she asked. I nodded. Page 88. Art heavy game shears. How did he get the colt to stand still? There were horses nuts on the ground. He nodded morosely. Slime ball. There aren't any words for it. He peered closely at the raw red and white end of the pastern. Even if I can reattach the foot, the colt will never race. His owner knows that. She wants to save his life. Better to collect the insurance. No insurance. A quarter of a million down the train. 
But it's not the money she's grieving over. What she's feeling is guilt. He understood. He saw it often. Eventually, he said, I'll give it a try. I don't hold out much hope. You'll photograph this as it is. He looked at the foot. Oh, sure. Photos, x-rays, blood tests on the cult. Micro-stitching every luxury. I'll get on with anesthesizing the cult as soon as possible. The foot's been off too long. He shook his head. I'll try. Phone my mobile. I gave him the number. Anytime. See you, Sid. And catch the booger. He bustled away, taking the foot with him. And I returned to my car to find Jonathan, not only still there, but jogging around with excitement. What's up? I asked. That Land Rover that pulled the trailer that brought the colt. What about it? It's got a red dragon on the windshield. What? But you said a blue... Yeah, yeah. It wasn't the vet's Land Rover I saw in the lane. But it's got a red dragon transfer on it. Not exactly the same. I don't think, but definitely a red dragon. The end. Come to grief. Dick Francis. Out the light of literature, you will find a story that touches your soul. Please support the authors in this show by viewing the books on the website 82488.com. That's numbers 824, the word 80.